This should be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down to life, man. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday afternoon. I know I sure am. And of course, we're coming to you live from the first, excuse me, the 103.7 The Game studios. Got to get used to that. But we're coming to you live worldwide from the 103.7 The Game studios. And appreciate you listening in worldwide on 1037thegame.com, the free mobile app, and also, I'd say the tower of power that is the FM dial 1037 the game. He is the tower of power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal to man. And if you want to call in, you can call us up right now, 337-706-0111. Got Ross Jackson joining us. Tentatively, I know you mentioned he, he was said he was set in stone to come on, but obviously some things can and will change on the drop of a dime. But we're scheduled to have him come aboard at eleven thirty. But in the meantime, in between time, I want to talk about some LSU football for a few moments because obviously they played this past Tuesday against Kansas State. I think we can all agree. That team was nowhere near ready to play. They had no business playing in that game. Considering the fact that you had several players opt out, transfer out, and move on with their lives. I mean, several players after the game declared their intentions for the NFL draft. Derek Stingley Jr. did finally did. You were playing with a wide receiver for a quarterback. It felt like it was a high school football game, but the best athlete you have out there and have him play. John Trey Kirkland, he did a decent job filling in. It wasn't the best, three touchdowns, two interceptions. But the players that did show up, I got to give them all the credit in the world. Like, seriously. We got to give them a standing ovation showing up. That's the thing. It's showing up. Because a lot of people at certain points weren't showing up. And knowing the fact that you were outmanned, outgunned, and you were able to field enough of a team was statement enough. I, I got to give a shout-out to those guys that did show up. Because at the end of the day, it's always tough. It's always said it's it takes a real man to show up to do the job. And that's exactly what they did. And I was impressed all the way through. Like, M to see that team do what they did. And they set their game up in a huge way. They looked pretty doggone good. And I sat there. I watched that game and I was like, okay, this is what I like. This is what I like to see. A team putting forth effort. 
And that's what I was wanting to see from this team for a good while is to see a program look better and show, hey, they're not going to lie down. And to a certain extent, they did. They did exactly what we kind of expected them to do. They lost 42-20. I think many of us kind of expected it, especially considering the circumstances. I thought maybe we would have gotten a better ball game, but we didn't. And the Tiger season ends for the first time in a long time since the turn of the century on a sub-500 record. But it's not all bad. It's not all bad. Because trust me, it could be a lot worse. He could be, you know, Brian Kelly trying to defend his southern accent and talking about family and saying that he's from Boston. They don't have that thick of an accent whenever, like, have you ever heard a single person from Boston? You hear that stereotypical Boston accent. I want to know what part of Boston he's from to where they don't have that thick Boston accent. You know, parking the car and have a yacht, that kind of thing. It's almost like saying, you know, people from Pittsburgh don't have a thick accent and talk about hammering down. Those people have, and, you know, we've had a, a Yenzer, a proud one of that in uh, Alan Michael, who once graced these 1037 the Game Studios. Good friend of the program. He had that Yenzer down. Uh, he he was from Pitt. Uh, you hear Pat McAfee. Uh, there's guys with thick accents. It's not just here in the heart of Cajun country. I understand why he was having fun with it, but it's like, come on now. We all know people from Boston have those thick accents to where it's wicked thick. And we know when we hear that, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit jarring at first, but you know those like thick Boston accents are there. That'll be the last time I do that accent for a good while. But Brian Kelly, he I mean, he was definitely embracing the meme there on the on commentary. And right whenever he was on commentary, you have a big like blowed up offensive play interception. I was like, yeesh, not a great look, not a great start for everything with the Brian Kelly era, but I think things will turn around and he'll be a pretty damn good coach. And I saw this pop up on our Twitter. This is coming from first cup earlier, the poll questions of the day. And he mentioned greatest football coach in LSU and raging Cajun's history. And here's the thing, I probably, a lot of people I think are going with Nick Saban, which is justifiable because for what it's worth, he helped set up that first, he won the national championship, he turned that program from being mid to being a really good program and won a national championship in 2003 when he left and Las Miles took over. He worked with, you know, LSU's with his ingredients, essentially. And next thing you know, they won a national title in twenty in 2007 and damn near won one in 2011 if they get past the 50-yard line, which was hysterically brought up many times. Cincinnati crossed the 50-yard line, which is more than LSU could say in their 2012 or 2011 national championship game that happened on January 9th, 10 years ago tomorrow. Think about that. 
10 years ago tomorrow marks the 10-year anniversary of one of the worst moments on a national stage LSU has ever had. Have it, and that it was the moment that changed a lot of things, changed the trajectory. Excuse, excuse me, trajectory of this program. You go look at the 2011 season. That was a season that was amazing. This team got to the national championship, and considering everything they, they dealt with before the season, you have quarterback gets suspended indefinitely. Jared Lee comes in, does a really good job. He did an admirable job getting that team to this point. Yet, guys like the Honey Badger, then quarterback gets unsuspended. Jarrett Lee's largely treated like an afterthought after that. You beat Alabama in the game of the century, 9-6, one of the more iconic games of all time. We talked about it in the last hour with our guy, A.J. Spur. But then we get to the, the game itself. Now, mind you, the SEC championship game, they looked exactly the same way. They looked like the same team that we saw in the national title game. They could barely get across the 50-yard line until after halftime, after the Honey Badger runs one back for a touchdown that changes the momentum of the game because it looked like Georgia could have won that one handily, but they didn't. LSU won that game handily because the momentum shifted in their direction. LSU could not get past the 50-yard line and never once was there a conversation about changing things. There was never once a conversation. I can remember 10 years ago to the day, I was getting more and more frustrated by the fact that Jarrett Lee was not given an opportunity to at least give that team some form of a spark. Now, if that would have done anything, if they would have turned it around and rallied, I don't know. But it wouldn't have hurt to try. It's a lot like how during the infamous game with Ian Book a few weeks ago, it wouldn't have hurt to put Bortles in. It would not have hurt at all, if we're being honest, to give him the, give him the shot. Because you signed him on to essentially what was a 10-day deal to get you through this COVID weird, this weird COVID time, especially the fact that you didn't know that you know the CDC was going to change the recommendations to being a five-day rule versus the 10-day. You were treating like a 10-day day IL type thing with Taysom Hill and, and crew. You wound up having it be changed almost instantaneously after the holidays. And the NFL changed it not long after the Saints game. It changed their rules to follow the CDCs, which, again, made sense. Also, it's a weird conspiracy theory in and of itself, but going back to what I was saying about LSU and, you know, the, the debate about that, I think you could say without a doubt Les Miles is the greatest head coach in LSU football history because of the fact that he helped win a national championship and built the foundation for a second. That was one in 2007. And then he brought up, you know, the best Cajun coach of all time in terms of football. And I think we all agree that that's Billy Napier. Yes, there's salt in the wound there. We talked about it in hour one. But I think we can all agree that is without a doubt the answer because of the win-loss record he had being so stellar. Like, literally, the last 
two years, he's only lost like three games. Three games. That's it. That's always impressive to think about. And I'll kind of I'll kind of double back to the conversation we had at the top of the show, talking about the transfer portal. This comes from our guy Darren on Twitter. He DM'd me privately after the segment. And I didn't get around to it because I was also want to reset what James had said about attendance at Cajun Field and the way things were. Which things were better this year. I think it was more because of the fact you have better attendance because of free parking. I think that helps matters. I think that helps you get more more people's foot in the door. And also when you have a really good team, I think people make a point of that. And Darren said, a point I've been trying to make is that the portal still has a chance to be great to us. Well, exactly. It takes away, but at the same time, it's going to give you some really good talents. There might be players out there that might just might not have gotten playing time at a Power 5 school. Just look at the running back from Cincinnati he brought up as an example. Technically, it's a G5, but it's a soon-to-be Power 5. Or a 4 or 5 star who may want to make an impact on a team right here, right now. We have players from last year who made impact for the portal like Michael Jefferson. Agreed. It may be nice to us this year also. Remember, players can also transfer down from P5 to G5, of course. And that's going to be something that, you know, and it's also considering how many scholarships you're going to have left. It's going to be tough to kind of figure out how that all evens out when you're the Cajuns is putting this whole thing together. And Des is going to have to do a great job of that because, again, you'll have a lot of guys that are running it back for another year and that eats up more scholarships. I'm talking about guys who are running it back are going to be super-duper seniors. Last year was the super seniors. This year it's the super-duper seniors, guys who are having yet another year left on their time at UL. It'll be interesting. But I want to touch on one more part, and then we'll probably get some LSU basketball in the next segment. And it was the greatest basketball player in Cajun's history. I was blown away by the options. Now there's there's no there's no doubt about it with three of the four. And maybe it's the fact that, you know, the guy who hosts that show is old and I don't know Dean Church all that well. Maybe somebody could educate me on that and chat me up on that. 337-706-0111. Dwight Lamar, Andrew Tony, those two, no doubters. I mean, the Boston Strangler. He was at the those two guys. Absolutely. Give me those guys. As two all timers, and probably in the case of either Dwight Bo Lamar. Or Andrew Tony, one of those two would probably be on the Mount Rushmore of Cajun athletics just in terms of athletes. Because obviously coaches or just all-time raging Cajuns, Robichaux's in there. I think if Billy Napier's image didn't take a huge hit, he'd be in there. You know, Jake DeLone would be in there. But in terms of, like, big four all-time Mount Rushmore Cajuns, Dwight Lamar, Andrew Tony, you'd have a hard time picking just one. If you could just pick one from a program, you only, you're only limited to one. I think Andrew Tony or Bo Lamar are your two guys. Also, bring up Kimpero. Obviously, that one, again, makes sense. But again, if somebody could educate me a little bit more on Dean Church, 
I'd be more interested to see how that one is answered. Alfred Payton, I think, is also a strong choice for that. He had a fantastic career with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. I think he deserves a little bit more recognition than others. Again, that's just purely my take. And then he also brought the LSU basketball player. And as much as I'd love to bring, love to put Shaq, I think a case has to be made. There's no doubt in my mind. It's, it's Pistol Pete. Pistol Pete is hands down probably the best basketball player to come out of a Louisiana University of all time. Imagine what he would be doing now. Like if he were a couple generations down the road. Like let's say he was playing college hoops in the late in the early 2010s. Let's just put it that way. Around the time or better, put him around the time of the Steph Curry's of the world. I guarantee you Pistol Pete would have been an absolute monster because he would have been lethal from he was lethal from three-point range before three points were even around. Three-pointers were even around in college. Like this guy brought things to another level. But he wasn't just a sharpshooter. He also had great ability as a ball handler. He had the skills to be an absolute phenom on the basketball court, especially on, on the college level. He was a guy that probably, if not for the fact that the NCAA rules at the time, would have played his freshman year. But back then, you didn't play. You were on the freshman team. He would have been varsity. And he would have been an absolute monster and probably have records to where nobody would be able to break those records. He's one of the greatest players of all time from Louisiana schools. I think there's no doubt about that. And Pete is just such a legend. I think about it all the time and I wonder, what if he were a generation later, like around the Jordan era, if he was playing back then if he was playing during like Jordan or a little bit after that like early Kobe tell me that wouldn't be an interesting league to have him because again he was doing stuff before anybody else he was a trailblazer he had all those those no look passes highlight real worthy stuff he would probably have been on and one mixtapes the way he was doing things and breaking people's ankles this guy had so much talent. I would love to have seen Pistol Pete play in a later era NBA versus what he was playing back then. Because I think he would have still blown people's minds with what he would have done. Because he was that committed to his craft. And he's a guy who was gone way too soon. We'll take a quick timeout. We come back. We'll talk some LSU hoops. Because... I, I'm starting to think LSU's a basketball school now. We'll talk about that next right here on 103.7 The Game at 1037thegame.com. The world-famous CD has a lot of thoughts about anything from the world of sports to what the right order is at your favorite eating establishment. Don't get me wrong. Extra toast is always a good thing, but extra fries is far superior and doesn't fill you up as much. Get in on the conversation and chat him up at 337-706-0111. Now, back to Under the Dome with CD on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. 
Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game on 1037thegame.com. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday afternoon. Got Ross Jackson coming on the program in about the next, let's see, seven or eight minutes. In the meantime, you can call us up, 706-0111, And I want to get into LSU hoops. I was going to talk Cajuns hoops earlier, but I got caught up, was resetting something with James who called in earlier and like the fact that he called in, had a good take. That's what we want here. If you want to call up, 337-706-0111. In the meantime, you know, I've always been a big fan of Jim Rome, and he says it best. I've got content for days. I've got takes for days. So it's not like I'm wanting callers just for the sake of having callers. But it's always great to have the conversation. But I've got content to fill that time. But I want to get to some LSU hoops because I'm starting to think it's looking more and more like LSU is a basketball school now. Now, of course, with Brian Kelly, Jay Johnson, we don't know what's going to happen with him in LSU baseball. But right here, right now, this is the best LSU basketball has looked in a while. And I'm talking about both men's and women's, especially women's. Yes, they lost the other night to South Carolina, but they lost to a number one ranked team, and they had them on the damn ropes all night. They lost 66 to 60. It happens. But that is a damn good team you lost to. You you, you can hold your head up high. You beat Auburn tomorrow, things are going to wind up evening out, and you're going to look a lot better. You're, you played a damn good South Carolina team, and you had them on the ropes. Lost 66 to 60. You were in control of a good bit of that ball game. And in all honesty, they had no business being that competitive. That's that's impressive, to say the least. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that works if you're a fan of the LSU Tigers. And women's basketball, again, I said it last week, I think making the tournament is going to be a huge step in the right direction. Not Final Four but making the tournament. Kim Mulkey has that experience, but having those young girls get that experience to be in that spot. It's going to be an uphill climb, but right now ranked 13th in the country, that's a damn good benchmark for a program that over the last few years had been slipping down, had been dropping out of a lot of different things, just not playing to a level of excellence that many LSU fans want to see. Keeping it competitive against them is great, but now you've got to handle all your other business. You've still got teams like Kentucky that are, as of right now, still ranked. Could very well be changing. A&M still ranked for now. You're going to be playing Tennessee to end the year. They're probably going to still be ranked. So you've still got some hay in the barn, but I think that game against South Carolina, the way you played, speaks to how good this team could be in the not-too-distant future. LSU men, on the other hand, they had a rough start against Auburn, but they bounced back nicely against Tennessee. And that, excuse me, Kentucky, they're playing Tennessee today. But that's kind of to be expected, to be honest, because I can remember a number of years ago, one of the only highlights of the Ben Seminary was beating Kentucky. That's the only thing many people remember of that season is beating Kentucky. And they beat him at home. 
When LSU plays Kentucky at the PMAC, that is going to be a hotly attended game. People are going to be packing to the damn rafters. That's what happened. When LSU played Kentucky, they were packed up to the damn gills. That's how that's how crazy it was back then. Now you get LSU playing Tennessee tonight. LSU's playing another ranked team. It's a tough start to the season. But a win against Tennessee gets you 2-1, and one, and I think then you start to see the road get a little bit easier. You get a little bit of a breather with Florida, who hasn't been as great of a team as in past years. Then you're playing Arkansas, a Arkansas team that's getting better by the year, a lot like what they're doing with football. It's getting better. It's going to take some time, but they're going to be, I think in my mind, a legitimate threat. I could be completely wrong, but that's kind of where I'm at when it comes to the state of LSU men's basketball. Get through this early start, then you're going to be playing a team like Alabama who is going to be a contender, no doubt about it. But I'm intrigued to see how they play the rest of the way once they get into the months of February and March. But right now, it's looking good. And I'm intrigued to see how those two programs do work. On the Cajuns' side, I was going to talk about them earlier, but they're 3-0 in conference play on the men. Women, they didn't play this week because of COVID. They had COVID protocols for one team, and then then the next day you find out they have players that are out. Cajuns' men, they're 3-0. They're looking damn good. And I think it's the fact that they haven't had to run into major season-ending injuries like they did in the past. That's just been my POV on it. But we'll get to the 103.7 The Game hotline real quick, then we'll take a quick timeout. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Good morning, Clint. How you doing, bud? Hey, Fausty, what's happening? Not too much. Who, who, what name is this? Who am I? Fausty. This is George Faust, right? Chad. Chad, oh, damn. Dude, J- Chad, you sound like George <laughs> Faust just now. Like, hey, what the man. hell? It's all good, but I'm just picking with you. Clint, get back to UL football real quick. I wanted to hit on this earlier. Um, just like how LSU won in 2019, the expectations for LSU football. Um, after two years, everybody forgot about that pretty much. I know there were some things that went on uh, and, yep. and got Coach O fired. But UL is going to be hard, uh, is going to be held to those expectations, too, for the Sun Belt especially. Uh, so in, in, in two years, uh, if he's not producing – uh, there's going to be fire because everybody they're gonna, UL is going to be the hunter now uh, instead of the hunty. Yeah, uh, and everybody's going to be looking to, to to get them. So their expectations there. I mean, build, building a bigger stadium and better stadium. I mean, I think it's it's fine now, but we you you got to win to pack to pack the seats to, exactly. you know, for everybody to come in. Uh, but they're going to be high, they're going to be held to uh, higher expectations uh, year in year out. Uh, they won the Sun Belt, obviously, uh, and they're ranked in the top 25. So, uh, Dez has got a, a, a hard. Uh, it's I mean, tough act to follow. Expectations, man. But I just want to get your opinion on that, my friend. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate that, Chad. And first of all, I apologize for calling you Faust. I don't know why. It sounded like George Faust at the beginning of that. If we roll back the tape and hear Faust when he's on with Jordy, it sounded very similar. But, anyways, so, Chad, to your point, the expectations are going to be high. Now, we need to define those expectations. They're right here, right now. I think we can all agree the expectation is for the Cajuns to be a contender 
and win the Sun Belt West and make it to the Sun Belt Conference Championship game. Getting to the top 25, I think in my mind, is Lanyap. I think that's Lanyap. I think the Cajuns... I think the ex, the the high expectation is for the Cajuns to be in the Sun Belt Conference Championship game and win it. That's the expectation in year one. I think year win-loss record doesn't matter in this conversation. You get to you win the conference, that's your expectation. Top 25, kind of line you up in my mind. Because to get to stay in the top 25 next year, it's going to be an uphill climb, at least in my heart of hearts. But we go to the 1037 the game hotline one more time, then we'll take a quick timeout. Hello, you're on under the dome. Yes, yeah, just a, a quick point. The stadium reverberation for the Cajuns is actually a, a, a capacity decrease. It's not going up. They're going to make it actually by 5,000 seats less. Yeah. But their amenities are going to be much greater. They're going to be much more modern. Well, exactly. Uh, and the reason that they have to decrease the attendance is because of what they're going to end up doing when they're redoing the press box. Most of the upper deck seats will be gone. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, uh, and but everything else in the stadium is going to be trying to be made top notch, even to the point where they're going to try to get a little more shade to the students on the other side. So, uh, many of these schools that built bigger stadiums regret it now in the age of ESPN Plus and things like that. Exactly. Yeah, so uh, I think it's a good move what the Cajuns are doing, but the, the people who say the stadium's increasing, that's not true. The stadium attendance, I mean, capacity is actually decreasing. So I just wanted to point that out. And that guy does sound like George Foss, by the way, so I understand your confusion. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. We'll I talk to you later. appreciate the call. Don't be a stranger, my man. And that's exactly what we're getting at. It's you're changing with the times because here's the thing. If you're a fan, would you rather a go hang out at a local pub and enjoy the game where you're not having to be out with a bunch of people sweating your behind off, waiting in the line, or watching it at your home. It's to make – because, like you said, the amenities are going to be what draws people to the games. That's the big thing. But we'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll get Ross Jackson finally aboard the program. We'll talk some New Orleans Saints and then wrap up the show next right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. If I don't hear this song next Saturday at around this time, I'm going to be one upset individual because that'll mean the season's over. That means, you know, we'll, 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 we might have Ross Jackson on next week just to kind of wrap up the season, put a nice little bow. But not hearing that song after this weekend, I think is going to mark this season as a disappointment because that means we're not going to be bringing on Ross Jackson. Locked on Saints podcast, host of that. And also writes for Canal Street Chronicles. And not having my guy on in the month of January, it always feels like a damn shame. And it has, it's been a while, in fact, since I've had him on, because we started having him on during the incredible 2018 season. Literally, the game when they played the Los Angeles Rams the first time. That was the first time we ever had him on. Since then, every time the Saints have played, we've had him on for a preview the day before. 
So now we go over to the 1037 The Game Hotline. Talk with our guy, once again, Ross Jackson. Ross, how you, how you doing, brother? I'm good, man. We have been at it for a long time, haven't we? Man, now I'm starting to wonder if maybe I'm the bad luck. <laughs> no, I'd say you're the good luck, Ross. I mean, for what it's worth, like, <laughs> you know, true. again, since 20, uh, you know, we, so every time, every year I've had you on, the Saints have made the playoffs. So hopefully right. this streak right. continues, but it's going to take a lot, if we're going to be honest. It's going to take a lot because there's still a lot of game left to be played you've got games to mo- today and tomorrow but i think we're more interested in the playoff scenarios and obviously saints just gotta win it's like al davis said just win baby but you also gotta hope that the los angeles rams bail you out and you and you have an opportunity where the 49ers lose and you get in then you probably aren't going to be playing the rams yeah, yeah, absolutely, and, and that's really the the one and only path to the playoffs for the Saints at this point. And it's not too much to ask. I mean, this is a New Orleans Saints team that has done well against Atlanta in Atlanta, which is exactly what this scenario will be. Uh, you have an Atlanta Falcons team that's basically only really playing to be a spoiler at this point to the New Orleans Saints, which I think will still motivate them. But I think the Saints just have so much to play for here in terms of keeping their playoff hopes alive. And and the only help that they need is for the Los Angeles Rams to knock off the San Francisco 49ers, which, again, I, I don't think is too much to ask. I don't think it's that insane a, a scenario for New Orleans. So I think that they have, you know, the cards are in their favor, but above all else, their focus will be on going out there and doing their part, which is winning their game against the Falcons tomorrow. And considering where things were heading into the month of December, knowing you only have to worry about literally – one other game besides yours and you're in, that's a pretty damn good feeling, right? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, at the beginning of December, we were looking at what? You need the the, uh, the Eagles to lose this many games. You need the 49ers to do this. You need the, the Vikings to do this. So it's kind of refreshing at this point to basically be talking about a win and end situation with one caveat in everything being that Rams game. And so I think this is quite a, uh, a load off of the shoulders of many Saints fans who are hoping to see their team play uh, in that two to seven uh, seed matchup, which would, would then immediately be against the Los Angeles Rams in, in that case. And so there's a lot of history there too, but none more sort of poetic than the fact that the Rams would have to help you get into the playoffs. And then your next game, the very next week, would be, you know, having to beat the Rams in those very same playoffs and so uh, in Los Angeles. So it's it's a pretty interesting path ahead for New Orleans. It's slightly reminiscent, Ross, and I was think I've been thinking I don't know why, but I've been thinking about this game more and more is when the Saints played the Rams in week 17 in 2000 and then you have to turn mm-hmm. around and play them again the very next week yep. in the wild card round. Yep, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it, there's not a lot of examples of that happening, right? To where you know, those two teams play against one another to close out the season and have to turn around and play in the first round of the wild card round there and all. But yeah, it feels very similar to that, to where, you know, you're effectively relying on that team to do something for you. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure someone's going to be scoreboard watching, right? Somebody's going to be paying attention to it's it. It's going to be tough, though. Or whatever, uh, and everything. But the Saints' focus will be on winning their game, and they'll have to immediately turn around and kind of say, hey, thanks, guys. We appreciate it. But now, you know, here we come. Exactly. Um, and, and I think the Saints' defense has a good matchup, if that were to, to be the case. It's the Rams' defense I'd be a little worried about. Oh, exactly. I'd be more worried about the Rams' defense than the Rams' offense. But we talk about defense. The Saints' defense has just gotten – better is I mean obviously the Miami Dolphins game we got to throw that out the window because it didn't really Mm -hmm. count towards the end result 
it sucked to lose that game, but you know, you were kind of had your arm, I think both arms tied behind your back, having to go with a rookie quarterback, a lot of players out with COVID. But right. you look at that team, the way they performed last week against the Carolina Panthers just was amazing. Cam Jordan looked like he is about five years younger, was getting things <laughs> done. This team was just performing on all cylinders. It was great to see, but I think we can also speak to the fact that this defense looks to be back to that level that we thought they were probably a couple months ago after the way things played out against the Tampa Bay Bucks the second go-round. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, you watched them play a game against Tampa Bay that was a perfect game for that defense until it wasn't, right? There was that one drive toward the end of the game where Tampa started moving the ball, but then that ended in the C.J. Gardner-Johnson interception. So, you know, you, you feel pretty good about it now. But, you know, they, they'll have to do that again this week. And, and that's not to say that, you know, Matt Ryan and his band are more talented or as talented as Tom Brady and his, but it's still a, an offense that can move the ball through the air and that can pick up a lot of yardage and can, you know, extend drives because of that. They, you know, they have some trouble getting into the end zone. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you have a rookie tight end in Kyle Pitts, who's the first tight end, uh, first rookie tight end in NFL history to go over 1,000 receiving yards since Mike Ditka did it as a rookie for the Chicago Bears. But he's only got one touchdown on the season, even though he's gone over 1,000 yards and, and, and now is dealing with a hamstring injury. We know that hamstring injuries have historically or typically been bad news for the Atlanta Falcons. And so I think that, you know, for that New Orleans Saints defense, who has allowed only 12.3 points per game over the games that Taysom Hill has been the starting quarterback, you need to see that defense come out and play another perfect game to wrap up the regular season. And I think they're ready to do so. You know, you hope that Marcus Davenport, who's questionable, is able to get into the game for this one because he makes such a big difference in the defensive line in terms of what he does, how he impacts the rotation, and how he frees up opportunities for other players. Cam Jordan credits him for that a lot. And the Saints won't have P.J. Williams, who um, you know has stepped into every role in the defense at this point or in the secondary at this point this season. But I still think that the Saints, even if they – I would even say without Marcus Davenport, but if they can – especially if they have Marcus Davenport, should match up well and be able to be that dominant defense again against Atlanta. Meanwhile, looking at the offensive side of the football, one player that is absent, and it feels like every year we just see a, a period of time where – Teron Armstead is just MIA. And knowing this, like, because if the Saints win and, you know, the, the 49ers win, it's over. Like, this has to be the end of an era when it comes to this offensive line, losing Teron Armstead, who's been playing for a long time, obviously just riddled with the injury bug the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. What can you say about his career with the New Orleans Saints and how I think maybe those injuries kind of play a role in us thinking about him very differently? Yeah, I think we only think about injuries for players when they're currently playing. And so when we talk about how it impacts maybe his you know, long-term standing with the New Orleans Saints and New Orleans Saints fans, all that people are going to remember is what he did, which is that he's an all-timer on that offensive line. He'll be a Saints Hall of Famer. He'll be all of that. I think that you know, whenever it is that his career is done in New Orleans or in the NFL – I think that he'll be remembered more fondly, and you'll you'll catch the caveat every now and then of somebody saying, ah, "If only he was a little bit healthier." You know, sort of the way that we talk about some of the all-time greats now. But I think that that's kind of the end of the story when it comes to that. I think that, but but I do think that in the short term, it has the larger impact. Right? He's coming up on an expiring contract, but he also sits for thirteen million dollars of dead cap on the Saints next season. That all accelerate if he leaves the team. So I understand that there are concerns around him when it comes to the injury, but financially, as well as the fact that the Saints don't really have an insurance plan behind him, 
outside of Ryan Ramchek where you don't have an insurance plan behind him. I actually don't know if this is the end of an era when it comes to Teron Armstead because of the salary cap implications of letting him walk away. And then also, you're not always going to be able to replace a Max Unger with an Eric McCoy, right? You're not always going to end up in that situation. So it'll be a very interesting um, I think it'll be more of an interesting thing to watch over the offseason than a foregone conclusion. And I think, I mean, what I'm saying is more of an end of an era because there's a chance like he could just say, you know what, I'm realizing these injuries are becoming a little bit too much. I'm just going to go ahead and head out on my own terms. That's more what I was thinking about with him because, I mean, the, he's getting longer in the tooth. And when you just look at guys like that, it just it just makes you think. Especially yeah. on that offensive line, but jump back over to the defense. We talked about Marcus Davenport. I think Davenport this year was in that do or die kind of mode because you knew, especially when you sign somebody like Peyton Turner, you get him in the draft, and you want to see Marcus Davenport step his game up. He's a former UTSA Roadrunner, and you drafted him as a first round pick, but he hadn't necessarily panned out those first few years. Has he done enough to kind of justify saying, "Hey, maybe we could"? have him stick around another year yeah i mean I, I think so i think you know he's got his fifth year option for next season but i wouldn't be surprised to see the saints maybe restructure that fifth year option spread that hit out over a couple of years so that they knock down the the hit for uh 2022 which i believe is a little bit over nine thousand dollars pretty close to ten um and so i could see them restructuring his fifth year option sort of just like what they did with marshall and Lattimore and then potentially working on getting an extension done with him early rather than late. And I think I would say the same thing about C.J. Gardner-Johnson, by the way. And so who doesn't have a fifth-year option, but I could see them getting an extension done a year early than, than after his contract is actually set to expire. But on Marcus Davenport, with him having that big cap hit next season because of the fifth-year option that's already been guaranteed, then I think that the, the next piece for them is, is probably finding a way to restructure that, knock that down while they work on a um, – on an extension for him beyond that. And then you just kind of hope that, you know, Peyton Turner comes back next year, is healthy and is good to go so that you start to plan for what the future of your defensive line looks like at the edges beyond Cam Jordan's time, which, you know, I think he's still got a few years left. But I think, you know, if, if Peyton Turner pans out and is able to, to sort of catch his rhythm and stay healthy in his, new, in his style of play as he adjusts to the NFL, then I think that that puts you in a very good situation beyond whenever that might be to where you feel that that's the next step for you. Got one more for you, Ross. Got about a minute. Key to victory tomorrow. Who do you think is going to win? Yeah, I think um, I, I think on the defensive side, it's about getting to Matt Ryan, right? It's all about the pass rush. Uh, Cam Jordan's got 22 sacks on Matt Ryan. That's the most for any individual defender against an individual quarterback in NFL history. I think he'll want to add to that list. <laughs> I think he's ready to add to that list. So I think that really comes down to pass rush, not only from the defensive line, though, Expect some second-level players, maybe even C.J. Gardner-Johnson, to get involved there. And on the offensive side, it's, it's field position game and protecting the ball. I mean, what's worked? It's been the formula that's worked for the Saints here over the past few weeks. So I'll take the Saints to win this one. I think they have more to play for. I think they want it more, and I think that they're gonna, the, the Saints fans are going to travel well. So I'll take the Saints here, but I think it's going to be tight 19-16 to 16 type of a, of a game. Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Hopefully it's next week and we're previewing a playoff game rather than recapping the season. Yeah, fingers crossed, my friend. I appreciate you, buddy, as always. I'll talk to you here soon. Y'all stay safe. All right, you too, Ross. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we got one final take to get in, and I think you might have heard it already, so I'm going to go ahead and keep it brief for you and wrap up the show in a nice little bow. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. 
Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. The final take here on Under Under the Dome this week has to do with the big game between Alabama and Georgia. Currently, Alabama is still a a two-and-a-half-point dog. I don't understand how the hell that is happening. But let me just make this a lesson for all of you. There are lessons to take in terms of sports betting. Don't pick your favorite team every time, especially when it comes to the survivor pool. I learned that lesson all too well. Double that with fantasy football as well. But my final take is the rules. Don't bet against Bama. Don't bet for your favorite team. Take the over when you can. But I think the biggest one that I'm mentioning is in a national championship game, do not turn your back against the Crimson Tide because you'll wind up losing your backside. That's my final take of the day. That's my final take of the week. And I'll talk to you all this time next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Until then, I've been Clint Doming. You take it easy. And stay safe. Because this Omicron stuff ain't no joke. It's been spreading like wildfire. So stay safe out there, everybody. Show it over. Oh, yeah. Kick it.